Good morning. I'm on. We on? Okay. How are y'all doing today? It's 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 that kind of morning, is it? Uh Uh-huh. All right. Um, Whoever's pen this is, I'm moving it just so that you know. So, some of you may remember a little bit about me, and uh, I'm sorry for that. Uh, I'm a teacher at heart. I love to teach. I love to to instruct, to to play with words. And I want to ask a question today. What is the most important thing you can learn or you can know in order to study Scripture well? In order to understand Scripture well, what is the most important thing you can learn? To read? To read? Oh, <laughs> all right, you got me on that one. Okay. All right, all right. When I was in Bible school, I had a friend, go figure. And he, he, he was so eager. He wanted to learn Greek, and he wanted to, to get into this right away. And, and you know, we're lowly freshmen, and he wasn't allowed to take Greek his first year. So he went to the teacher, the Greek teacher, and he said, what can I do this year to help me when I can take Greek next year? And so she uh, sat him down and uh, gave him two words that really frustrated him to no end. And those two words were English grammar. Oh, man. How many of you like grammar? Most of you like grandpa, but not grammar, huh? It's... Uh, Without understanding grammar, we're really at a loss. And yet, oftentimes when we read scripture, we kind of leave our, our grammar education on the back burner and we blow through scripture and, and, and we apply our own ideas and our own thoughts. And, and rarely do we stop and say, okay, let's figure this out. We want to talk today about nouns and verbs. Yay! No, it's not an English lesson. But uh, we want to take a little bit of time to talk about nouns and verbs and the difference that that makes in our life as believers. So before we get into the word, let's pause again, because we can never pray too often. And let's ask for the Lord to be our teacher today. Father, thank you for an opportunity to gather around your word. And as we look at your word together, Lord, I ask that you would indeed open our hearts to hear your voice. Father, I ask that the words that I say would be yours and not mine. And that your words would burn into our souls and that mine would be quickly forgotten. Father, please speak through us. Please speak to us today. (laughs) And may you find in us the responses that you're looking for. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. I get the transition passage. So that's that's always kind of fun. Um, When I read through the Gospels and then on into the New Testament, I always try to read Luke as the last Gospel instead of reading John, because then I can just carry on volume one to volume two. So in case you didn't realize, Acts is simply volume two. 
Acts was written by Luke, and it details what Jesus continued to do, but we'll get there. Luke chapter 24, we're going to begin reading at verse 36 and read through to the end of the book, and then we'll jump over and we'll start the book of Acts. As they were saying these things, he himself, that he of course being Jesus, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. (laughs) But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Remember, we just we, we, the, the timing of this passage is absolutely perfect. We've just come through Easter. The disciples watched him die. They watched him being buried. They've had reports that he's alive. And then suddenly, as they're gathering, there he is. That would be rather startling. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, "Um, do you have anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple praising God. Acts chapter 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, all about that Jesus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. The fact of the res resurrection was nailed down so, so clearly. And as a matter of fact, Paul talks about that. If you want to read the whole chapter, read 1 Corinthians 15. And that will detail to you a lot of, of why the resurrection was so critical. We celebrated the resurrection last Sunday. At least I hope you did. But he, can, he, he, he gave them so many proofs. Let, let me read a little bit from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is saying, For I passed on to you as most important, most important, what I also received. I lost my place. There we go. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he, sorry, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. Well, not today. But when Paul wrote this, he was saying, listen, guys, you don't believe me? Go ask Peter. Go ask the twelve. There's 500 folks out there. Most of them are still living. You can go ask them because they're still alive. See, the Lord made sure that he had lots and lots of credible witnesses because our salvation, our hope, hangs on the resurrection. The forgiveness of our sins was paid for by someone hanging on the cross. Jesus cried out, it is finished. As he hung on the cross and he died, and at that moment, the price was paid for your sins and for mine. However, the resurrection is where the hope comes. The resurrection is proof that God accepted that sacrifice. The resurrection is our proof that that was satisfactory, that it was done, that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient he didn't have any sins to die for, or he would have stayed dead. The resurrection is proof of that. But not only that, as you read through 1 Corinthians 15, <laughs> I love one of the things that Paul says. He's, he's, pretty, um, he's pretty blunt. He says, you know what, guys? If there's no resurrection, then you and me as Christians, we're the biggest suckers of them all. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Without the resurrection, there's no hope. But Jesus is the guarantee that there is hope. There is life coming. And we know that when, when those, those men were standing there, those angels, after Jesus was taken up, and he said... Uh, he's not coming back today. What? Huh? What? Well, why are you still looking up into the sky? He's gone. He's in heaven. He's with his father. He's not coming back today. But 
He will come back. This same Jesus, this person that you know and love, will come back. Of course, that leaves us with a whole lot of time. And (laughs) those beloved 11 apostles had no clue how much time it was going to be. They expected Jesus back in their lifetime. That's one of the big reasons for passages like 1 Corinthians 15 and for 1 and 2 Thessalonians, where people were going, our believers are dying. We thought Jesus was coming back. And God unfolded a little bit more of his plan. But what do we do in the meantime? (laughs) In the meantime, we study grammar. Let's take a look. There's one word that I want us to look at in particular today. And I want us to notice some things that perhaps we haven't noticed or we have taken a little bit off kilter, shall we say. Luke 24 again, verse 44. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, by the way, those three categories encompass the entirety of the Old Testament in in what Jesus was saying. He's not excluding anything. He's saying everything that was written about me in scripture had to be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer. And rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Acts chapter 1. <laughs> I, I, I love these little sidebar here. I love the disciples. I love the apostles. They give me so much hope. (laughs) They had just walked and lived with Jesus for three years. He had been building into them day by day, teaching them and and working with them, and yet still he, he does things that startles them, like shows up out of the blue when he's supposed to be dead, and all of these kinds of things. And then the... These apostles still didn't quite get it. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time that we get rid of the Romans? I have spent three years with you guys teaching you that my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. The physical one will come, but, but that's God's... What do you mean am I going to restore the kingdom now? They still didn't get it. They were still looking for a physical Messiah who would, who would save them from these horrid people called the Romans. They still didn't get it. Sounds like a lot of us. Because then Jesus goes on to say, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority. If you look at everything that Jesus says about the last days, it's really quite amusing because one of the things he always tells them is, you will not know when I am coming back. You cannot know 
when I'm coming back. That's not the important thing about me coming back. So quit trying and live your life in the meantime. It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. There's that word again. Yep, we're talking about witnesses. But I want to be real, real clear. We're talking about witnesses, not witnessing. Witnessing is an English word, not a Greek word. Jesus didn't say, you will go out and witness for me. He never said that. You want to take a look. In these two passages, it's very, very clear. To be a witness is a noun or a verb. A noun. What's the difference between a noun and a verb? Just in case, I promised you grammar today. So, what's the difference between a noun and a verb? A verb is an action. A noun is not an action. <laughs> For a person, a noun is a state of being. It's not that we will go out and witness. It's that we will be witnesses. Several years ago, my wife was involved in a a traffic accident. She was stopping at a red light, and someone coming the other direction was not stopping at a red light. And that person hit a scooter driver and shot this person across the intersection up under my wife's vehicle, killing that person instantly. That person was killed on the initial impact. My wife is a witness in a court of law. She is a witness. She doesn't go there to witness about the accident. What makes her a witness? She was there. Give me some other words that describe that. She she experienced it. That is what it means to be a witness. There is a verb here that goes with this word witness, but it's not witnessing. It's not to witness. It's to testify. I, I don't usually do this because I don't like to, to pull Greek into my sermons. But if we look in the Greek, the word, to wit, the, the word witness in, now, in a noun form is to testify in a verb form. My wife goes to court to testify. What does she testify about? Something that she read 17 years ago in a magazine about how the, the properties of physics, right? When one vehicle hits another, that, that, is that what she goes to testify about? What does she testify? What she observed, what she experienced, what happened in her life. That's the difference. And that's, folks, what Jesus is asking for us in the meantime. 
Don't get me wrong. It is, it is so important to know Scripture, to know various ways of communicating God's truths to people. But who makes the most credible and the most effective witnesses in a court of law? Who makes those? Who is most effective? The ones that have been there. Eyewitnesses. An eyewitness account. That's what Jesus wants. An eyewitness account. See, as he talks to his disciples here, he, he makes it very, very clear. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He gave them that background. You and I have received the Holy Spirit. And one of the Holy Spirit's tasks in our life is to enlighten us. As we read scripture and as we listen to scripture, the Holy Spirit then takes that and works in our lives to open our mind to what God wants to say. Jesus did that for his disciples at this point. And he showed them himself throughout the entire Old Testament. And then he said, you are witnesses of these things. You've been there. You saw it. Do you remember what John says in his first letter? Not the gospel, but the first letter that he wrote. Let me just grab it here. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes. This is 1 John 1, 1. What we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What we have experienced, we share with you. That's how John put it in 1 John 1. You will be my witnesses. You will testify to me. To what I've done. Hmm. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit. This is back in Acts. Yes, I'm jumping back and forth from Luke to Acts. And that's kind of. It'd be so much easier if they were just one page apart. But you're just going to have to keep flipping over John. Sorry, John. We'll get there another time. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. You notice Jesus doesn't say, you will be my good witnesses. (laughs) That's up to the disciples. My reputation, my ongoing forwardness of what God has done hangs on my witnesses. And obviously the power of the Holy Spirit in you to do that. I find it interesting that oftentimes we disassociate the power of the Holy Spirit from being a witness. That's why he's given. The Holy Spirit is given to empower us, not to amaze the world, but to do things in our own lives that we can then share with other people so that other people can hear and see about God in your life today. My testimony is really, really, boring. I grew up in the church. My parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. 
I was saved when I was four years old. Didn't make a big change in my life at that point in time. My testimony about how I became a Christian is really, really boring. If that's what we're looking back to as being a witness, my only question is, where is God in your life from then to now? God asks us to be witnesses of his presence in our lives. Byron, I love the songs that we did. <laughs> I love when God does details. I decided not to, to mess up your, uh, your uh, projectionist today like I have done in the past. Can you put up the songs again? So, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> wow, I got his head to pop up. What? 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 I'm awake. I'm awake. What? What? Those songs were all about being a witness. Lord, you are holy. You are worthy. Me living that in my life today is being a witness. It's God in me that makes it visible. It's God in me that other people then see. You know, when we look at Acts, as you go through the book of Acts, and especially at the beginning, and you see over and over again, people are trying to get into the church. The apostles didn't have to drag him in and try to get them converted. The people were trying to get in because they saw a difference in the life of the people that accepted Jesus Christ, that accepted that sacrifice. They were a witness to the transformational power of being a Christian, not necessarily because of the signs and wonders, although at that point in time there were. Not everybody did them. But they were different. A lot of times we create, oh, I'm a Christian now, so my life must look different. Therefore, I will not do this. I will not do that. And we create a set of rules for ourselves so that our lives will look different. We don't go to the pub. We don't go dancing. We don't, you know, whatever your set of rules are. I grew up with a list of them. That's not being different. That's being a Pharisee. That's creating a set of rules so that I look better than you, so you can be like me. Wait, hold on. The reality needs to be Jesus Christ in your life today. That is attractive. That is testifying. of what is going on in my life today. To testify, to be a witness, is really just what God wants from us. What does that look like? I mean, it's one thing for me to stand up here and get all excited about it and, and, and try to inspire you. And, and uh. What does it look like, though? What does it look like tomorrow morning? Because tomorrow morning, we're not going to be singing nice, fancy worship songs unless you're one of those that has your playlists that you plug in all the time. What does it look like? I talked with 
my congregation about this on Friday. As we were, we were looking at the book of Ezra. Well, how's that for time travel? From the ascension of Jesus to the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Ezra chapter 3 shows us something really, really cool. The exiles returned, and they were the, the whole reason for, in the book of Ezra for the exiles to return, the initial return of the exiles, was to rebuild the temple, not to rebuild Jerusalem, not to rebuild the walls. That comes in Nehemiah 80 years later. But the first return was to build the temple. And Ezra chapter 3 shows us what their first priority was. They all got together in the seventh month, big religious festival month, four religious festivals in that month. So the first pilgrimage back to Jerusalem happened then. And they all gathered around so that they could start rebuilding the temple. No, that's not what they did. They all gathered around and rebuilt the altar. They rebuilt the altar and they began to offer sacrifices. The temple foundation wasn't laid for seven more months. Probably because it was winter. Seven months later, they begin the temple foundation. But the first thing that they did was they rebuilt the altar and began to offer sacrifices. That was their first priority. What would we call that? What, what is offering sacrifices in that era, at that time? What was offering sacrifices? Worship. That was how they worshipped God. That was their priority. Hostile people all around them, but they reinstituted all of the temple sacrifices. Even before there was a temple, they brought the worship back. Is worship singing? Sorry, Byron. No. Is worship coming to church? No. So you guys watching at home are okay. For the ancient Israelites, Old Testament times, Worship was sacrifice. Worship was coming to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. What is it for you and me? God makes it real, real clear. The new 12th apostle, a guy by the name of Paul, made it real clear for us. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, and some of you are now finishing this verse for me, <laughs> I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your true worship. A living sacrifice sacrifice. Present your bodies to the Lord. Again, thank you, Byron. We sang about that. Here I am, Jesus, just as I am. Mess and everything. We try, we, we, <laughs> we figure we need to clean up to make ourselves presentable to God. 
Yeah, that ain't going to work. Hebrews tells us that we have access to the throne so that we can receive grace when we need it. When do we need grace? When we're a mess. And that's when Jesus says, please come. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. What does that look like? An awareness of being a Christian 24-7, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. That's worship. That is being a witness. When somebody asks you, so what's this Jesus thing all about? You know, you, you have the knowledge and you have you, the information to go back to Scripture and to share with them. But you also have the personal interaction with the Lord in your own life to testify to. Well, let me tell you about some things that happened because I prayed. Or let me tell you about what I've experienced with the Lord. That makes the witness so much more effective than, oh, um, um, right, 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 Romans wrote. Romans 3.23, for all have said, you're a sinner. I'm not knocking those things. I use those things. But if we use them in the context of being a witness, of having a life that is infused, that is permeated, with an awareness of Jesus Christ, suddenly there's a truth to it. It rings true as, as someone tries to cross-examine it to go back to our, our courtroom picture. It holds up because it's real in our lives. It's not just something in our heads. To be a witness is the noun that Jesus used. To testify or to bear witness to what you have seen and heard and done is the verb. When we try to, to, to witness, so to speak, from outside of that, so often we come up short and empty and oh, just live your life. Do you realize that Jesus never once talked about his spiritual life? He didn't. He didn't have a spiritual life and a secular life. He just had a life. We've split them. And that's where this, this whole idea of witnessing as a verb comes in. It's to try to do some kind of crossover from secular to, to spiritual. No, no, just live life. Romans chapter 12, I promised you one and two. Verse 2 is what follows that. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. To be a witness simply means to live a life of worship. Worship simply means to live 24-7, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year in an awareness of Jesus in you and through you to all those around you.
They'll ask questions. Opportunities will come up that you never even considered. And because you're able to testify to the reality of God in your life, that makes you such a more effective witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We all are witnesses. It doesn't say, please be one. It says, you will be. We all are witnesses. The only question really is what does our testimony, what do we testify? When we testify, what does that look like? Does it hold water? Does it wash? Not our testimony from when we became a Christian, but our testimony to God in our lives. Does what we say and what we live, what we experience match? That's being a good witness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, so often we, we add so much to simply letting you live your life in us and through us. And Lord, I ask that all of that knowledge and everything that you are imparting to our, our minds would, would, would find a way to be lived out in an awareness of your presence with us. That when we leave here, it wouldn't be, my, my Christian duties are done for the day. But it would be, celebration time is over. Now it's time to get back to regular worship. of just living my life with you. Lord, for each one of us here, I ask that you would show us new and amazing ways this week of worshiping you. And of being the witness that you want us to be as you bring opportunities for us to testify. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.